Welcome dear listeners to this week's afternoon satsang. As always, this is Prem from Team Leader Sai and with me is Arvind. And we are here to present you this week's satsang on the Ramkatha Raswani. As always, we are going back to the series and we are pretty much towards the end of the ward. That's where we are, we are in the story. But as always, before we delve into the story as such, as beautifully penned by Swami, we are going to start by ruminating over the sweet name of Lord Sri Rama. Sri Rama Rama Rame Ki Rame Rame Manorame Sahasra Nama Tatulyam Rama Nama Varanane Welcome dear listeners and welcome to today's afternoon satsang on the Ramkatha Rasavahini. As Prem, you know, introduced the satsang today, we are in the middle of the war which has consumed thousands and thousands of Rakshasas and a large number of monkeys and bears too on Rama's side. It's been like a a war of attrition as far as Lanka is concerned because one after another they are losing their heroic generals, they are losing their population, they are losing their resources and yet they are holding on not giving up simply because Ravana chooses not to give up. We discussed last fortnight during the Ramkatha Rasavahini fortnight as to how the mighty Kumbhakarna is killed and also how Ahiravana, the other son of Ravana, who is as brave as Indrajit. You know, Indrajit, the son of Ravana is killed, the brother of Ravana is killed. Everybody except Ravana seems to have got killed by now. And we, where we stopped last time was how Hanuman rescues the two brothers, Rama and Lakshmana. Or shall I rather say how Hanuman gets the opportunity to serve Rama and Lakshmana by rescuing them from Ahiravana. Because... Ahiravana is no big deal for Rama to kill. He rescues them from the netherworld, from the Patala, gets them back to the camp. And even as he leaves the netherworlds, Hanuman crowns Makaradvaja, another monkey with whom he has fought with in the beginning before entering Ahiravana's kingdom. He crowns Makaradvaja as the ruler of the netherworld and returns with Rama and Lakshmana triumphantly and as Rama and Lakshmana are back in the camp, the Vanara camp is excited, thrilled, they are strengthened again with the presence of their lord, their master, their hero and they get ready to resume battle. In the meanwhile, on the other side, yes, Ravana is downcast and depressed because even what seemed like a positive news, the kidnapping of Lakshmana and Rama to be sacrificed by Ahiravana has also turned to be a sad news for Ravana because Ahiravana is dead and Rama and Lakshmana are back. Right. And this news when it reached Ravana, he is really 
distressed and of course it's another son who whom he has lost so he's wailing his plight uh, i mean uh, on hearing this and again once again mandodri comes and tries to give him some con- uh, consolation and more than that advice and that's precisely what ravana doesn't want at that time so he becomes very upset and he starts uh, losing his temper even further and around that time he you know he gets the news that there's another minister who has come to see him and some says that there is a minister by name sundur uh, siddhuranatha i think that's the name of that minister and to add to that this siddhuranatha minister is supposed to be close to vibhishana so anybody who's close to vibhishana understandably was a person of virtues too so this minister has precisely come for that purpose of advising ravana again and that again puts him off so i think the very fact that somebody is close to vibhishana might be ticking ravana off right, because exactly he feels that they are <laughs> friends to a traitor right and uh, again this minister also comes and tries to give him con- uh, counsel but it's not confined only to the good ministers because as we have seen almost everybody has started advising ravana against this foolishness that he's involving himself in so this minister also comes and starts advising him but as we have seen through the story as much as there are people who are giving good counsel to ravana there are i think enough people inciting him and uh, one of those ministers comes and says that you don't have to uh, feel so downcast you still have one option left you no know, one more son is alive for you and he says you have your son by name narantaka uh, narantaka or narantaka whatever the way it's pronounced i think the name itself means the one who brings an end to human to lives to human lives right and also he is a person who has an army which is 72 crore strong you know that's what some he writes so he says that's a huge uh, you know support you have you can call upon him and uh, you know when i was reading this reminded of uh, what one of the scholars had spoken in swami's presence when he was talking about this part you selling that when ravana captures mother sita and takes her to lanka uh, you know there is one one sto- one way of narrating the entire ramana where you speak of ravana as a great devotee who is willfully doing all this you know to bring an end to the the rakshasa clan hmm. because you know you know that we know that story of he being one of the vijaya uh, vijaya one of them hmm. and literally he comes on a mission to be born as a rakshasa so that you know he could incite the lord to come and put an end to this entire race hmm. it's almost like that so there is one narrative which is said spoken of as you know ravana willfully doing this so they say that you know he he comes to mother sita and he brings mother sita back to lanka because that is the only way the lord will come to lanka and come after all that you know the entire kingdom will be vanquished in that process it's almost like that you know, the minister is coming and telling him you know you have left out one son uh, you have lost uh, ahiravna you have lost uh, indrajit but you know this son is there and he's got 72 crore rakshasas you know almost all of them mm. need to be given the same treatment so ravana is in the story as swami puts it he is boosted and he says yeah why not i send word for him and he takes i think there's another rakshasa who, whose name we've heard before dhum ketu ramana messenger <coughs> calls him and sends him as a messenger and uh, dhum ketu goes and explains what's happened to uh, lanka and he's surprised because none of these people who have been sent message like this be it, be it kumbhakarna or be it ayiravana or now narendra have ever heard of something like this happening to lanka hmm. because it was such a powerful kingdom so immediately he comes and sami says that he comes straight to the battle he doesn't even go to ravana brings all his uh, army and plunges straight into battle and swami says that as he enters the battlefield he sees hanuman coming to him in the moment he sees hanuman this guy starts uh, you know becoming tensed 
and he asked Dumketu, who is this? So then Dumketu explains what a invincible warrior Hanuman is and he is one person who is responsible for the death of, death of most of the uh, generals in the army. So then Dumketu is, uh, you know, gets furious and starts getting into the battle. At that time, Swami says that Hanuman pounds his chest with his uh, fist and throws him into the Rasatala uh, region, which is supposed to be, I think, one of the nether regions. Yes, I think the Patala, Patala, Rasatala. You know, there are some 14 lokas which are usually mentioned. So Swami says he is thrown into the Rasatala region and all of his millions of army men are, you know, caught and thrown into the ocean. And killed there. Killed. I feel it is like, you know, when God decides to come and annihilate the wicked, it's like gathering all of them together before... <laughs> you know, killing them all. This is a strategy that's often used in pest control also, you know, at home. Mm-hmm. When there are pests infesting everything, you you ensure that they come all to one place before you destroy them because uh, whether it's a spray or anything, you start doing it every place. It pollutes, pollutes your whole home also. So it looks like rather than Rama travel to all the different places on the face of Mother Earth and annihilate the demons there, he decides to choose one battleground and drawing everyone there and ensuring that nobody is left. So, yeah, just like as you said, that that is one of the ways in which it is viewed that uh, Ravana did it. But, you know, when when reading through the Ramkata Rasavaini, I feel it's more like this, that when good has to make its ultimate push, Vinashakale Viprita Buddhi, that is what, that Viprita Buddhi is born in all these evil and wicked people and they all come together and gather so that good can make that one final swish and finish them off, you know. So that is how Narantaka, who is supposed to be the annihilator of all humans, is annihilated even before he can meet a human by a monkey, an army of monkeys. And Narantaka's death, you know, drives Ravana crazy. And when this happens, you know, Ravana realized that there's nothing else to do. There's nothing else to do because he has no other hero left. All his family, all his... Everybody whom he thought he could rely on are dead. It's time for him to take up arms. Even at this point in time, he's advised. He's told Ravana that, don't you realize now that the victory no longer can be yours? Forget, forget the nobility and goodness and all that. Even in terms of a practical victory, it's not possible now. What was not possible for you with so many of your heroes by your side? How is it possible for you without the heroes by your side? But as you know, so many times we have repeated through our narrative, Vinashakale Viprita Buddhi, when the, when the time of destruction comes near, your intelligence seems to take a walk and go away from you. That's exactly what has happened to Ravana because the logic that he comes up with is, now that I have sacrificed all my heroes, isn't it shameful, isn't it covered is on my part to just back out now. How can I back out? I have to fight now. I have to fight with all my might. And he calls and inspires all his soldiers also. He says, you must fight. And it's interesting to see the way he inspires them. You know, He says that you have to fight because if you choose not to fight and leave, remember that I will kill you with my own arrows. You know, This is the inspiration that comes from fear. And this is the kind of thing, fear that Ravana instills in his soldiers that you go because if you fight, if you win, you live. If you don't fight, death is assured. That is the kind of uh, inspiration that Ravana is trying to give them because and when he does this, yeah, so they are also charged. 
you know they say that don't corner a tiger don't corner a lion don't corner even a cat because a cornered cat is very ferocious a cat otherwise will run away from you but you corner a cat it can turn ferocious they say that when your life is at stake you seem to get some sort of courage some sort of energy some sort of strength from where god knows where you just know that you have to give it your all because otherwise you're dead so i think ravana is trying to draw on that kind of feeling from all his rakshasas so that because he also knows that you have to give it your all if you have to stand any chance of any kind of victory yeah absolutely i think clearly you know when in many times in the in the story this part comes where the the army of rama is inspired where you know the army of ravana is fighting out of fear where their fear is instilled constantly into their minds that and in a way it could be dangerous because you have that nothing to lose attitude you know mm. when you go into a battle when you see we've seen that in matches you always have these uh, wild cards who become giants underdogs right because they have nothing to lose and they go absolutely head on and aggressive in the game and you always see that but uh, you know the other thing which is uh, uh, obvious in this is many times this would be told uh, especially as i think swami would have, would tell some of his devotees sometimes it's it is uh, advantages for in our part to do mistakes or to fail in some things that will always give us a certain amount of humility to uh, learn from the situation and not be uh, overconfident when you're facing a situation it's almost like this is what has happened to the you know the lankan army and to ravana because they've hardly seen any defeats they have so much confidence in their uh, might that even when it is obvious that you're actually against an army which is overpowering you you are not ready to uh, accept that so many times it it would see that you know even in our obedience to swami sometimes you would see that a little bit of slip in our obedience i'm not suggesting that we should slip but when there is that little flaw in us it will automatically give us that humility to be careful you know i am capable of doing this mistake so let me not be overconfident let me always be prayerful in taking up anything if swami gives us a command you'll always feel that you know i'm capable of falling uh, that should not be the driving idea because confidence is what swami would want us to do but that humility is very very helpful which you can see is clearly lacking in ravana another point that stands out very glaringly over here and i wish to bring it up because i feel this is a good way for us to self audit our own actions mm-hmm. is are we driven by love for what we are doing or or are we driven by fear of losing something if we don't do what we are doing now any action that i do why am i doing that action am i doing it because i love to get something and do that or if i am not doing this then i'll be losing out something and therefore it is fear that is driving me i feel as long as it is love that is driving me that is the right way to go about that is the right place to be in when it's fear it's not you know it applies to everything in a practical life for example when i think of going to my workplace do i say that oh my god i have to go because if i don't go i don't know where will my salary come from i don't know how will i sustain my family then i feel it's more of a fear driven and it's not that i allow my job i'm going to that anything any other thing that we do any decision that we take are we taking that decision out of love or out of fear i feel this is a good thing to self audit self audit for ourselves to look into why we do things are we doing it out of love or fear and if we are doing out of fear there's definitely some change that is needed there so that we do things out of love i mean uh, in a 
<coughs> sorry in a way it, you know that's something which uh, Swami would often say in fact when we were students our teachers would say you know you should always be good because Swami is always watching you but to do good because Swami is always watching you is a negative uh, way of expressing your love for Swami you know you're doing it out of fear mm. that you know and you know it anytime Swami might pull you up and say that hey you know you did this or you spoke this and you always felt that you were an open book in front of Swami and if you've had an experience like that, then you're, you're absolutely on guard all the time. That is one way of disciplining. You know, in fact, uh, Swami, it seems, apparently said that to one of the devotees. When so one of the devotees asked, why do people sin so much in the world? You know, openly people cheat and openly people harm others. Why do they do this? So Swami's simple answer was, if you have the feeling that God is always watching me, you will never do that. So the, it's almost like the first step for uh, discipline in, in, in certain ways, where you have the fear of punishment and you have the fear of uh, being reprimanded. But you can't stop at that level. At some time, your goodness should be inspired by, as you said, by love, not by fear. And that's why Swami would always say, Papa Bhiti should be there. But higher than that is Deva Preeti. And that will automatically result in Sanganiti. Or, I mean, the morality in society should not be uh, driven by Papa Bhiti, but... You know, Prem, I feel we can use that very same example that you gave to our advantage in a nice manner. Let me elaborate. Like you said, uh, when you feel that, oh God, Swami is watching me, I better be careful. It should not be fear driven that way. I remember an episode where, you know, uh, Swami was doing this tricycle distribution. And at that time, one of the recipients, when he was, you know, walking up to the stage, he stumbled a bit and immediately there was a volunteer who came and helped and Swami smiled at the volunteer, he was happy. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just thinking this volunteer, he would have, in the physical presence, I have helped a person and immediately Swami is happy. I feel he can use the fact, the reality that Swami is watching me always in this sense that, you know, whenever I come across anybody who is in need, let me help because, you know what, Swami is watching me always and there will be a smile on his face. I I feel that this is a beautiful way to use the truth that Swami is God is watching always to our advantage, to make it into a thing of offering with love rather than fear. See, sometimes I may not be so nice because I feel nobody is watching. But every time if I am aware Swami is watching, because I am keen to may bring a smile on my Lord's face, I do it. And then, you know, it transforms from doing a thing out of love rather than doing out of fear. And... I have had an experience like this, you know, it was during a, I think I have narrated once or twice, during a flight to Mumbai, when I was going, next to me was seated a lady with two kids, you know, and mm-hmm. these two kids were so mischievous, she was having a hard time controlling them. Um, in fact, I was in one of the last seats and this was an empty seat. The lady came and sat there because somewhere in the front, a passenger had complained. Some passengers had complained asking whether mm. this lady could be shifted because the kids are becoming intolerable. And when the air hostess asked whether, is, is it any problem for me, I, I did not know what I was inviting. I said, yeah, it's not a problem. And I then saw these two kids. But then, you know, I started playing with the kids and I just felt, imagine imagine my own sister or my mother or somebody in this kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, how b- terrible I will feel that if nobody wants because of the kids and pushing them, pushing my sister or my mother around. Mm-hmm. See, with that attitude, I started doing it and... And trust me, Prem, in my heart I felt, by this act, Swami, you will feel very happy. But I guess on that day, Swami decided to take it one notch higher. What happened was, because I was helping in taking care of these kids, this lady began to 
asked me about things in my life as to what and i told her that uh how can i talk about my you know I, how can i talk about my life without bringing in swami because he's been everything in my life so i just said have you heard of satyasai baba by the way and then she began a tirade of smashing swami you know yeah he is this he is that you know he whatever things that she had read off the internet i guess and all things like this this is about some 8 9 years ago so she started telling all this and i was just listening to all that i was asking her as to what do you means what is your concept of god she said i have my guru somewhere in punjab and you know i he's my everything i don't believe in any gods because i believe only in my guru and i told her you know i also have a guru but the thing is i believe in all gods because i believe in my guru you know this went on like this towards the end of the flight you know she was pretty impressed and so she said uh, yeah whenever you know i own these ice cream stores in bombay whenever you come you should visit these stores all that she said and she asked but who is this guru of yours because i asked her who is that guru of hers and she named her guru i said my guru is satyasai baba and you know she felt so embarrassed she felt so bad because she had bad mouth swami while here is a person who says he is a follower of swami and he has actually helped her so much so she was like didn't you get angry didn't you get sad i said no 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 problem this happens she said no why is there so much bad about swami then i asked her why do people come to your guru for she said everybody comes for self realization i said that's all medical anybody is sick she said no 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 guru is very selective only those who are ready for self realization he picks them otherwise no no you know they are just shunted out that's what she said mm-hmm. i said see the difference is here all kinds of people come to swami all kinds of people come to swami there are people who come with for medical cures there are people who even come thinking there are huge crowds here let me pickpocket someone you know so since all kinds of people come to swami you see all kinds of things written about swami also and then she asked me why you know on the face she said why are you being so nice to me and my kids i have been so nasty about your guru and that time you know i told her this itself as the answer i said you know what because my swami is watching he is watching and because of what i have done here now he will be very happy with me and i am sure that when i go back to parthi in his own way he will express his happiness on me so it's not something selfless that i have done i have done it selfishly only but i am doing this because swami is watching me every moment and you know that is when i realized that this fact that swami is watching me every moment need not be a fear factor because honestly prem that day i didn't have an iota of fear at all I, actually i think <laughs> swami would not have minded if i told to the air officer that i am also having a problem with this lady please take her somewhere you know but i really genuinely felt that in spite of everything if i am able to show my love swami will be so happy with me i only wish that i can follow this more often in my life because <laughs> i don't do this every time but thinking that swami is watching me always god is watching me always need not only generate fear if directed properly it can result in us getting love for god itself there absolutely i think there is no uh, emotions might be uh, different but it's just that probably what swami is saying is that spontaneity of saying that you know i do it because swami loves not because swami is watching me and because he is watching me exactly. i feel happy yes yes but you know even that fear when you say it, uh, once when you were talking to a student he was telling hmm. that once suddenly swami revealed to him something about his school days which is very unpleasant and nobody in his family knew about it very very embarrassing for him i, I think it's a very famous story of swami materializing a photograph of 
the boy standing behind uh, a pillar the, smoking uh, wall and smoking hmm. he, he did it when he was in school but it, it you know grown out of it uh, by the time when he came to swami but when swami gave him that revelation it was at least after 3 or 4 months of swami showering his love on him like you know a long period where swami went out of his way and said that you know how much swami has love for this boy and you know how much swami was happy that uh, he is next to swami so when this boy had this feeling of you know here is swami showing his omniscience and he says that i always w- watch over you he could not but look back at that 3 months he had spent in swami's presence he said in spite of knowing all of, all about me this is what i got from him you know it was not just the fear that swami is always watching me but the way swami had put it yes. you know that love which uh, precedes the revelation that i am always watching all the crap that you do you know <laughs> that perspective you know he said here is somebody who knows everything about me and still loves me so can i love him back you know even as you were saying that the feeling that swami is always watching me swami allows it to sink in with a certain amount of fear but not without that love which goes with it and i think I mean that's what uh, we're seeing. You know that inspiration is totally different because always we speak about inspiration. You know when, whenever you speak about teachers, there is that famous quote. You know a teacher teaches a normal teacher, a bad teacher, you know does not teach well. A, or, a, a bad teacher preaches. A good teacher teaches. A great teacher inspires. Inspires, right? You know finally you will have to be able to do what you have to do. at any situation driven from within okay if i can just correct i think it's a bad teacher lectures a good teacher, good teacher teaches, teaches while a great teacher inspires yes right so i think that is it's it's all about inspiration and you know as we said inspiration is a very positive thing and that's exactly we are seeing here you know whenever swami narrates the war scene he literally speaks of the vanaras going about with jubilation you know even in the battle there is that uh, certain amount of uh, vibrancy in the way they are going at uh, into the war but you can see the rakshasas it's always like either to save their honor or to save uh, their own lives they are going into the battle and the difference can be seen absolutely uh, in fact you know with that statement you are triggered off another line of thought but probably we'll proceed with the story for that particular moment to come and i will express that uh, that uh, question if i can say so or that thought that keeps poking within from for me i will express that in the meanwhile dear listeners we will take a little break on the other side of the break we will continue with the story uh, where narantaka has been killed and ravana has decided to enter the fray enter the battle enter the war this is going to be the uh battle royal if i can say so because this is also in terms of the time as described in the valmiki ramayana as swami describes it everywhere this is going to be the longest lasting battle everything is set to climax now and we will come to that after this break Rama Sundar 
Welcome back, dear listeners. We continue with the story where now Ravana orders for the fleetest of chariots. He sets out in for the battle. And now, even as Ravana sets out, Swami writes about the innumerable ill, Ill omens or bad omens that confront him. You know, right. jackals howling, donkeys braying, Swami and says that the weapons start slipping from his hand. Huh. The charioteer falls off his seat. I mean, all of these are supposed to be uh, bad omens. And, and the uh, horses and the elephants in his own army starts wailing. Start yeah. wailing, right? So, this, this shows a kind of, you know, interconnectedness that exists between what Swami famously says, the quartet of the Vyashti, Samashti, Srishti and Parmeshti, between the individual, society, nature and God. There is a connection and if there is something happening at one level, all other levels also respond to that. And... I feel, you know, when nature celebrates Krishna's birth, here is nature, you know, signaling Ravana's doom. All these are things that you have to be aware of. And that's why, you know, I feel mankind as a whole also has to wake up because nature seems to be giving signals. You know, people may ask, I have been good, why did my family get wiped out in a tsunami? I have been good, why did uh, these people have been good, why did they get affected in an earthquake? We don't have explanations, you know, we don't have it for that, yeah, we don't have explanations for that, for that case, there are monkeys fighting on Rama's side who have been dharmic and who are on the side of God, yet why do they die? I don't know, I don't know, I don't have the explanations. But this much is clear that in a larger perspective, when a section of people, when a society is seeming to go in the wrong way, individuals respond against it. Communities respond against it, nature responds against it, God responds against it. That's what is happening here, you know. Against the Rakshasas, Rama has taken up arms, God, they are against God. And even nature seems to be doing that. And that is why I say even in modern day man, when we see some, some of these things happening, I think it is time for humanity as a whole, mankind as a whole to sit up and take notice. Here is nature drawing our attention to something, something obviously that we are doing wrong. I think we should have the humility to accept that we are doing wrong. See what is it that we are doing wrong and correct our things. Because, you know, I remember in one discourse, possibly in 2006 or 7, mm-hmm. Swami clearly mentioned that 
all these things happening tsunamis i think there was a time when tsunami had come and an earthquake had come he said this is all happening because of the drying up of karuna in human heart you know i don't think when we say that every word from swami is a vedavakya i think we should definitely give importance to this swami saying the root cause of all these natural disasters and calamities is the drying of compassion in the human heart on the face of it there seems to be no connection but this is the only connection because it has been said by swami so i think just like uh, ravana was foolish in not paying heed to these omens that came when he set out to war we are also being as foolish as ravana if we don't pay heed to these omens when it has been so clearly told to us we say that ramana is foolish mandodri advised him this person advised that person advised he didn't listen vinashakale vipritha buddhi and as a whole as humanity as a whole i think we are also doing the same thing we are refusing to listen yeah in our own yes it doesn't matter even if you don't believe in uh, satya sai baba as such yes you go examine your own wisdom you know whatever path you follow you will realize that there is a message that nature is trying to give us we are just not ready to listen and we are also on the verge of doing the same vinashakale vipritha buddhi right in fact you know uh, many of these scientific studies which we uh, speak of today uh, be it even in biology you know you have this gradation which we generally have you know uh, a group of cells form a tissue a group of tissues form an organ and then mm. organs form an organ system and organ systems form an organism organism and organisms when they come together you have a Uh, ecosystem right ecosystem yes and they speak of uh, the earth as an ecosystem yes all the ecosystems right. come together to form the biosphere right a biosphere but now they're saying that why can't the earth itself be an organism there is a possibility of that you know we look at organs as you know your heart is an organ a lung is an organ can every being be an organ in this organ in this organism you know there mm. is that i think there's a concept called Uh, the gaia philosophy or something where they speak of the gaia gaia, gaia right? I, i don't know how it's pronounced yeah, yeah they speak of the whole earth as one organism hmm. you know, when we were kids i think we used to laugh at our grandparents when they say that you know oh a cat is you know going past your path don't walk or you know uh, when you see some signs when uh, you're sitting at home and the crow starts we say uh, all these superstitions right? right? they say all these are superstitions but without their knowledge i think most of our ancestors they really believed in a concept where everything is one where one which is so distinct from uh, the situation you are in can give you a sign of what is happening in the situation i think we used to have a lesson in our english uh, classes when we were in school about a horse refusing to go past a uh, cross a bridge and how it saves the entire family you know there, there was that in a storm they are trying to go past that a bridge and the horse refuses to walk past you know before i forget right. even to this day i believe in japan there is a kind of fish that uh, they keep at home because it has the ability to predict earthquakes right you know so it starts are, swimming and the way they swim so it is true there is a even, way of even, communication even when the tsunami happened mm. they they later found because you know it was such an uncommon uh, event in india that lot of people had forgotten about it but many of these tribals were living in some of these regions like andaman and all that knew it when animals start moving towards the mainland away from the coast mm. apparently it's a sign that the water is going to come in mm. and that's what happened in many of these coastal areas you know the cattle and all started moving uh, into the land oh, uh, okay. during that period so there are many many things like this as you saying that fish which shows the i mean 
of course i, w- I wouldn't uh, endorse the octopus which <laughs> predicts <laughs> which the winner predicted of the win football matches football matches <laughs> but who knows probably even that was uh, there might be a connection right, there might be a connection but certainly you know some of these uh, omens what we call bad omen or good omen or whatever it is there certainly is some kind of basis for that for us devotees if swami has put it in ramkatha swaining then certainly there is a connection between these bad omens and you know what you what we are going out to do on a day and the good news i feel is that uh, whether we have taken enough sufficient action or not i definitely feel we have not taken but at least humanity is today uh, waking up and at least parts of humanity is accepting the fact that everything is interconnected right. the very fact that such theories exist <laughs> show that uh, acceptance of the fact you know i feel the difference only between primitive man and modern man today is primitive man had this as a belief which could be you know which could be laughed away laughed at as if it's a superstition or some blind belief but today the same things is being backed by statistics is being backed by theories is being backed by experiential uh, uh you know documentation and therefore the good news is that yeah there is definitely a recognition of this in fact i remember that a uh, blockbuster hollywood movie called avatar mm-hmm. you know yes, avatar in that movie it's all about that there is one tree of life which connects everything and uh, metaphorically they presented this same thing that the whole earth is one breathing and living organism and some problem somewhere is bound to affect the organism is bound to affect me because i am also part of the organism if the organism suffers i also suffer because i am part of the organism so in that sense yes um, i don't know how we came to that yeah we came to it through the omens right. yeah fact, so one esoteric uh, explanation for this is which hmm. is often given when in commentaries of ramayana is you know the one who has been uh, brought to lanka by ravana is prakriti nature she is nature she is mother sita stands for prakriti so all you know uh, responses are given from nature the same thing is said even when he is bringing uh, mother sita to lanka hmm. and all of this in fact uh, there is a later part i don't know the swami writes about it where when mother sita is released when ravana is killed the way uh, nature rejoices in that hmm. moment hmm. so it is believed that she stands for you know prakriti and so now ravana has set out in spite of the omens that are there in spite of all the things that seem to be indicating to him that he is doing taking the wrong step but he is not ready to listen to that and he has got a very charged up army of course as we discussed earlier this army is charged up with fear because they feel that if we turn back we're going to be killed by ravana and on the other side is a very inspired army and they are at all the four gates north south east west all the four gates of lanka there at the ramp ramparts of the lankan fort and they are smashing it down they are trying to break open and enter and charge at the lankans and from inside yes there's an there is ravana leading out his explosive charge the vanaras are trying to implode into lanka while Ra- ravana and his forces are trying to explode out of it and there is a very 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 gruesome gory and terrible war the battle that takes place in fact swami gives some of the gory details also he speaks of how the monkeys with their claws and nails and with their teeth they are plucking out the entrails of the rakshasas plucking out their intestines and making necklaces and garlands out of it you know uh, pulling out limbs ripping them apart and all this taking place it's very as i said a gory battle and 
Swami writes that two cries rent the air. One is victory to Rama, the other victory to Ravana. So it's almost like a battle between victory to Rama, Ram, Ram Jai, Jai Shri Ram and Jai Ravan. And we know what happens with, when there is a battle between Jai Shri Ram and Jai Ravan. That's exactly that's going to happen. But it is definitely a very gory-gory war. And that's what Swami writes also. Right. And uh, Ravana responds, you know, really fiercely to this. Because he sees these Vanaras throwing uh, trees and mountains at him. So he really goes on the offensive. And all said and done, Ravana is, is a very, very fierce warrior. So when he starts, that the Vanaras start running helter-skelter and they start, uh, you know, calling out to Sugriva to come and save them. Hmm. And at this point, Lakshmana jumps into the battle. And Swami writes that Lakshmana goes to uh, Lord Rama and takes his blessings and comes into the battle. And Lakshmana comes straight to Ravana and he says that, you know, what are you, uh, what a coward are you to fight with monkeys and bears? Come hmm. and face me in battle. Hmm. And Ravana looks at him and says, yeah, I was actually looking right for you because you were the one who has uh, killed my all my sons. And I was really looking for you to engage you in battle. And that again, a very, very fierce duel starts between Lakshmana and Hanuman, uh, sorry, Ravana at this point. And at first, Lakshmana succeeds in injuring Ravana, right. but in, Ravana makes use of the Brahma Astra and releases it on Lakshmana, makes Lakshmana fall in a faint. That is when Ra, Hanuman steps in, you know, Hanuman steps in to fight and he... He gets the first blow actually. Yes, Ravana gives him a strong blow and Hanuman is reeling a bit. But he recovers and he lands another blow on Ravana's face. And Ravana is, you know, really shocked by the might of this monkey. This is not the first time he's seeing Hanuman. He has seen Hanuman walk defiantly and proudly into his court. He has seen Hanuman sit at a high level in his court. He has seen Hanuman rampage in Lanka, destroy. And all the while he has been considering him a mere monkey. And for the first time possibly, you know, Hanu, uh, Ravana has some sort of an admiration to Hanuman, you know, when he receives the blow, he says, oh my god, this monkey's paw is so powerful. He's definitely angry also. You know, he feels that I must burn it into ashes, this paw that has had the temerity and had the audacity to hit me. I must burn it to ashes. But at the same time, he can't help possibly having some kind of admiration on the might and power a little monkey can have. And again, I feel this highlights the power of Rama because with the Lord by your side, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. And I think we have to drive this into our head because though we stated, though I stated that nothing is impossible with God and when it comes to, but when it comes to problems or difficulties that I face, I start getting desperate. I start getting sad. I start feeling low. I start feeling frustrated. At that point in time, I must ask myself, why are you feeling that is you yourself say that with God nothing is impossible. It's because we might say these things, but somehow it doesn't register deep within us. Because, Prem, tell me, if at all I am 100% convinced that with God nothing is impossible, will I ever know depression in my life? Will I ever know frustration in my life? Will I ever know anger or irritation in my life? The very fact that I get angry, I get irritated, I get frustrated and I get depressed is proof of the truth that I am not having faith in the statement that with God nothing is impossible and that God is with me. Absolutely, because you know, the the surest sign of faith is fearlessness. That's what they say, you know, that. Uh, and uh, and the definition of happiness, I think one of our students was explaining that in one of his talks. Mm-hmm. He said, 
spirituality is nothing but being happy because that's what some would always tell us that if you're a happy person then and if you're able to sustain that happiness uh, no matter what is happening around you then you're definitely a spiritual person you know they, they can't they they can't be a better way of expressing spirituality they cannot be a better example of a spiritual person so and that comes from faith and that's where it all comes from isn't it you know they they have these metrics how do you know that a company is profitable you know they they say that we go by the sales we go by the number of outlets we have there are different metrics that you measure uh, i remember attending a class in which they spoke of a corporate dashboard mm-hmm. so a, a, a cfo or ceo a cxo basically any person on top of the company he won't have the time and he won't have the it's not in his uh, capacity also to go into every little detail of functioning but there are some indices we can in, in the indicators that he must keep tracking because if those indicators are above a level and doing well it means the company is doing well and so those are the things that he will be tracking on his corporate dashboard i feel in our spiritual dashboard one of the chief indicators must be how happy we are That's because i think if we are happy most of the time i think we are doing good if we are happy all the time i think we are absolutely on the spiritual side because unless one is spiritual there is no way we can be happy all the time see there is a difference prem i can appear to be happy always you know people may think that hey, this guy is a happy guy always that is possible i can do that with amazing acting the way the way we see jokers or uh, clowns in the circus uh, of course circus is a thing of past today but when we used to go to the circus i always used to feel that a clown is the happiest man he's always happy he's always cracking jokes but we have seen the reality as to how clowns are some of the most depressed people so that's why i'm saying when i say happy it's about it's a thing that i have to gauge for myself i can definitely appear happy to others and when i think of happiness i might think of some people and say that these are the people who are happy always but i think it's for each one to ask himself or herself am i truly happy always that's why it's a self audit uh, indicator so in that self audit if i see that yes i am happy always definitely i am on the spiritual path exactly no if you talk of a person being a rich person let's say x is a rich man it doesn't mean that he has no expenses it means when there are issues coming in front of him expenses coming before him problems coming before him he has enough money to you know uh, absorb the shock to tide over it right tide over it and you know he, he has let's say there's a health problem he has enough money to spend and you know take care of himself so that's exactly when you say a happy person happy person does not mean that somebody who does not have any problems in life so when we say swami make me happy or you know i want to lead a happy life you're talking of happiness like that rich man you know where he is he has the uh, enough ability to shock absorb whatever comes in his way and i think that's what and that's why you will always have a devotee going through phases where you know there are ups and downs because that's the only way you can really uh, you know certify that happiness whether it's real true happiness or not and it's not being happy like a clown <laughs> just a, a plastered mask on the face right so coming back to the story when when um, hanuman lands his blow and ravana is reeling under its impact lakshmana recovers and showers ravana with a new with renewed energy with renewed fervor and a great passion and enthusiasm that comes only when you are on god's side it is so severe his attack that ravana is forced to retreat he retreats and runs back inside with the idea of performing a patal homa you know a patal homa 
is the same kind of yagna that indrajit tried to perform to become invincible so ravana retreats hoping that he can do something and regain his strength regain composure regain whatever losses he has suffered and come back for the battle i think this is the time that we take another break another quick break on the other side of which we shall continue with what happened after ravana retreats plus some other thoughts with which we wish to tickle the intellects and consciences and hearts of our listeners hoping that you too contribute and join into this satsang all that after this little break Shri Ram 
Dear listeners, we are in that uh, part of the story where Ravana has finally entered the battlefield, and uh, we spoke about a duel which happened between Ravana and Lakshmana, where uh, Lakshmana is wounded, but Hanuman steps in and gives a blow to Ravana because of which uh, he falls down. But the charioteer of Ravana quickly drives Ravana back into the palace. I'm sorry, into the uh, kingdom, away from the battlefield, and that's how Ravana is saved for that day. Otherwise, I think I'm sure. All the other monkeys would have pounced on him, and that would have been the end of Ravana. But that's how Ravana saves that day, and he goes back, and that's the point of the story we are in right now. Uh, you know, before we go ahead with the story, Prem, there was that statement that inadvertently uh, came out about how even monkeys fighting on Rama's side are dying. You know, I thought that is one point of discussion that that we should. uh bring out that you know it's not that it's not a guarantee that if you are on the right side you will not come to any harm or you will not come to any kind of uh, loss because you know we often quote of dharmo rakshati rakshita saying that your dharma will protect you but we see such things happening you know we see this you know like when as i said during the natural calamity when something happens you say what did we do we have been good people and this has happened i i want to bring up bring up one um, thing it's a it was a sad thing and today it's turned into a happy thing so i want to narrate it just today i received a message from a sister in back in trinidad and tobago mm-hmm. you know when i had visited that place trinidad and tobago about 3 years back we had visited one center you know and i will not i will withhold the name of the center now but in that center it was very uh, you know a kind of a uh, ironical situation because there was this family mm-hmm. that out of their love for swami had given up their entire huge home to be made into a center and they were themselves living in a small upper apartment you know their whole ground floor has been made into a center and when we went to that center you know that was the time when this owner this lady you know she had uh, delivered twins and the twins had died at childbirth mm-hmm. and and everybody you know in the center this was the question these are wonderful people they do lot of swami's work they love swami they do why did this happen to them you know 
some kind of consolation and solace we offered there we gave them vibhuti we did everything yes and i'm saying it's a happy day today because today that sister sent me a picture of her daughter mm-hmm. she has delivered a beautiful baby daughter you know named her also and she is so thrilled and happy and uh, the beautiful wonderful thing admirable thing on the part of the sister is that her faith in swami has redoubled she is she's so convinced that it is swami taking care of everything and swami does everything for her best so that's wonderful but what i'm saying is it's not as if if we love swami we do everything as per him we become immune to all worldly uh, problems i feel this is something that we should always keep in mind because if we are turning to god and our lives become problem free in the worldly sense i think that relationship becomes something like a selfish relationship the same reason why i go behind money because i think it will protect me in a worldly sense in my times of trouble the same reason i go behind power and career because i think that will protect me to some extent in my times of trouble the same reason i go behind insurance that is the reason i'll go behind god also because god is my insurance you know i think that becomes more business like and it becomes more like a selfish proposition because the truth of the matter is there is no guarantee you know as i said it's very tough to answer the people in that center when they ask why did this happen to the people who have given the center who do so much why is this god doing this to them there are people who do far worse thing who don't believe in swami and they have children which are fine what do you answer this i think more than answering this or getting to a concrete answer i think we should accept that these things happen but that in no measure should mean that we should not follow god or we should not be good i mean uh, one thing which often people ask you know i mean uh, the the first explanation which most of us would give for an event like this is you know there is a, something called karma theory and you would have done something in the past mm. but again the question which will come is why bad thing should happen to me when i have no knowledge of the bad thing that i did in my past mm. you know i i do something wrong in the morning at least by night you punish me I, I, it's all right you know or Correct. at least in a time frame where i can recognize the mistake that i've done and connect it to the the repercussion hmm. but why have a punishment when the knowledge of the wrong act is completely gone you know hmm. especially from a past life or something i think clearly the understanding is you know, whether you do good or whether you do choose the right over the wrong it has to be done for the purpose of because you're supposed to do right you're supposed to do wrong and the same discussion which we had you know are you going to do out of fear or are you going to do out of spontaneity are you going to do out of love even that love is coming out of the fact that you know swami is watching me and he'll be happy or are you doing good because you know this is what swami expects of me whether swami is watching me or swami is busy watching somebody else this <laughs> is what swami is expects of me and so i do it so that spontaneity is what defines a good act and that spontaneity will come only when you know when you're I mean, it's a perfect system where, uh, as Swami would say, that you sow a mango seed, you reap a mango tree, you sow, a, you know, a, some other plant, and that's the plant you will get. That's the perfection of the system. That has got nothing to do with, uh, you know, your learning in that sense. But it's an opportunity that you're put into the system, and you can use the system, which is imperfect in a way that it gives you the result. Sometimes when you're not aware of the you know act which is done you can use it for your advantage so that you will do good for goodness sake not because you know i do good and i get goodness in return or i refrain from doing bad because i'll be punished later for it because you know i mean it's a perfect system you're thrown into this perfect system can you use this perfect system to get to this ultimate state where you do good only for goodness sake 
that i think is a very important highlight of our discussion today that we have to do good for goodness sake in that famous uh, uh, christmas carol i think it goes you better watch out you better not right. cry you better not pout i'm telling you why santa claus is coming to town in that there is one statement which goes and be good for goodness sake right i think we have to be good for goodness sake because with our limited knowledge of only the present we don't know the past we don't know the future it becomes very difficult for us to explain it's only god who can explain the reasons and once god explains you know things look so clear things look so apparent and yes our emotion towards an episode and our emotion towards a person itself changes but even when god does not reveal that to us i feel we have to hold on in faith we have to just hold on in faith that god knows there's a reason for it but that is no reason for me to give up doing good i have to continue doing good and i feel that is the that is the thing otherwise yes so many monkey families you know every wife monkey <laughs> every monkey's wife could have asked rama why why you protect only hanuman why don't you protect my husband like that why don't you protect my son like that yeah. you know in fact we see so many examples uh, angada you know angada's father has been killed by rama by rama himself i think that is where we have to look at these examples and get inspired from angada might say lord i want to love you i want to follow you but then why am i suff- why am i being orphaned what is my fault yeah my father didn't obey you but why am i suffering for it he could have asked like that but he didn't i feel that is what we have to see and learn right in fact one thing what you generally uh, see in swami's discourse he says you know all the sadhana that you do all the spiritual practices that you involve in the bhajans the seva all of it swami used the term it is meant for chitta shuddhi right mm. and uh, if you look at it chitta shuddhi i don't know if it it is the exact interpretation as given in vedanta but we know that chitta also stands for memory so chitta shuddhi is in, in a sense formatting of your memory you know and it does not literally mean that you forget all everything of your past but you're able to do every action as it it is supposed to be done freed from you know the pulls of your past right like freed from the pulls of the past and attractions, attractions of the future of the future you know that's spontaneity because that's what that's what spirituality is all about if it's in one word you can define a spiritual act it's an act of goodness done spontaneously that's all it is and you know it's all driving towards that so the idea is uh, tomorrow when i go out for seva i'm not going to see that you know what i've been doing seva for 15 years and this is what happened to me last week you know i lost my job you know mm. my father died in an accident or you you're you know when you're going out to seva this is what i'm supposed to do this is what is you know expression of my nature this is what i'm supposed to do or somebody comes to you and you don't stop and say that you know what 10 years ago this guy came and did this to me so he is in need so this is my chance to get at him your ability to distance yourself from that past and say that at this point a person is coming to me for a help and i'm in a position where i can help him so let me help him that when you talk about chittashuddhi finally practically it comes down to that your ability as you said to distance yourself from the past and from the pulls of future and to do an act at that moment what has to be done according to your conscience i think that's what is uh, the whole idea and then with that we continue with the story in the story ravana has decided to do the patala homano because uh, as we said patala is one of the netherworlds right. patala rasatala different things so patala homa is supposed to increase the strength of rakshasas in fact this is a very 
sacrifice that Indrajit wanted to perform, which Rama gave permission to violate. I think we had a very interesting discussion on that aspect as well. As to how the Yagna Purusha Rama himself gives permission to defile a Yagna when it's being done with wrong motivation. Right. A similar thing happens here. You know, Vibhishana once again through his spy network gets to know that Ravana is about to embark on this Patala Yagna uh, that is going to increase his strength manifold. So therefore, Vibhishana goes and warns Rama that, you know, this has to be uh, defiled. You know, this Yagna also has to be disturbed. Rama agrees to the fact that it has to be disturbed. One point that comes up here is why is Rama scared of, (laughs) you know, Ravana doing the Yagna? Why is Rama scared that Indrajit is doing this Yagna? I don't think it's it's anything about Rama getting scared. I just feel Rama's objective, Rama's mission is to weaken the evil and annihilate it completely. So why should you simply give a chance to strengthen the evil and prolong it, you know? Why? When you do that, so as well... Anything that is taken, any step that is taken to weaken evil, yes, is a step. So if it requires the disturbing of a yagna, do it. So I don't think it's out of fear or anything that Rama did. I think it's just about, yeah, fighting the evil and uh, annihilating the bad. So Rama here again permits uh, the disruption of the yagna. In fact, he sends Angada and Hanuman, if I'm not mistaken. He sends these two to go ahead and disturb Ravana in this Patalahoma. Right. You know, when you talk of a yagna, when you say we're doing a yagna, some would say yagna is nothing but sacrifice. You know, that's the direct translation of the word yagna. Yagna, huh? When, when there is no sacrifice in the act that you're doing, how can it be a yagna? Mm. You know, it becomes like a tool. I mean, a tool can be used for good or bad. But when you talk of a yagna, it should be backed by the idea of sacrifice. That's why when, when, when it is used for harming, a tool is called a weapon. Right. It becomes a weapon. So it's no more though we are referring to what uh, Ravana was trying to do as a yagna. I think it was technically a yagna, but in spirit it was not a yagna. Because you know, every time Swami would do a yagna, be it the Dashara yagna or the other yagnas which Swami would do, Swami would always say it's for Loka Kalyana. So when you are doing something, and we know that enormous amount of expenditure of the yagnas which Swami would do would uh, you know cost, cost. But when you do it with the feeling that I am spending this because let this bring happiness and joy to the entire world. Let this bring peace to the entire world. That's truly a sacrifice. That's when it's a yagna. And if you do a, a, a puja saying that, you know, this is going to give me more power and I can go and attack the army better. Mm. And, you know, I can uh, expand my kingdom or whatever. If that is the idea, I think it's not a yagna at all. So what Rama is going and destroying or disrupting is not a yajna. It is another evil plan which is being foiled. And when Hanuman and Angada go there, they are very successful in disrupting the yajna. <laughs> in fact, Swami writes how even as Ravana is sitting there and trying to concentrate, there are monkeys pulling his hair, there are monkeys digging their teeth into his big shoulders and basically preventing Ravana from concentrating. And Ravana is just unable to do it and finally he gets up, he's trying to, he catches hold of a few monkeys, he's trying to twirl them, turn them around, swirl them and crash them to the ground. But for some strange reason he's unable to do it. He's unable to crash them to the ground and he's unable to kill even one monkey. You know this, I feel what more indicator Ravana do you want than this? You are not able to kill one little monkey. You're going to face a huge army of monkeys and you're going to, you're planning to fight against Rama. But Ravana at that time is very infuriated. He feels cheated. In fact, it results 
in him getting more angry on Vibhishana. Because he is convinced that Vibhishana is the one who has done this, found out. And he feels betrayed by somebody of his own. It is often said, you know, that uh, somebody who is closest is the one who can betray you the most. In fact, the other day, when I was discussing with a very uh, senior member who was been with Swami, uh, you know, regarding this very uh, thing that keeps cropping up again and here and there, you know, about this Mudinali and all that, mm-hmm. the statement that that person made is, remember, the one who can betray the most is the one who has been the closest only. It, the, the fact that, the fact that, uh, you know, we hold on, people often hold on to saying that this person is closest to Swami, this person is this, how can somebody betray like that? If we look very neutrally from a distance, over history we have seen, the person who is closest is the one who has the greatest capability of betrayal. And that is what Ravana is feeling there now, you know, he's feeling that Vibhishna, you have betrayed me. And Ravana, in fact, feels very angry because he feels all this has happened because of Vibhishna's betrayal. And that again comes from his pride of his own power. He feels that my power was unmatched. Nobody could do anything. It's because Vibhishna betrayed all this has happened. So, instead of heeding to the warning that he should stop, he should stop being foolish, he should stop going head first and banging into the wall against the Lord, he decides, he gets very angry and he decides that I will do everything that is possible to try to kill Ya Vibhishana, Sugriva, I mean uh, Lakshmana, who have killed my children, who have killed my family, who have killed my generals. And with that kind of anger and arrogance and, you know, kind of craziness, you know, his destruction is very close. He has lost discrimination, he has lost everything. He is just ranting and he wants blood. With that, Ravana decides to go out and fight again. You know, when this scene was described, here was uh, Ravana trying to sit and do a worship. And the monkeys kind of disrupt him and finally he just gets up and goes. He's not able to do it. Mm. And we've made this analogy many times, you know, the monkeys stand for the thoughts because Swami would often say monkey mind. Mm. So it's all, it's all of, you know, the entire monkey army is like an army of thoughts. And on one side you have Rama, whom we have said is the representation of the Atma. And the other side, you have Ravanas, you know, the representation of evil in that sense. Hmm. So Swami would say, Maneva Karanam, Maneva Manishanam, Karanam Bandamokshayo. Hmm. It's almost like the same thoughts which... The translation of that is, mind alone is responsible for man's bondage and man's liberation. liberation. So here is Ravana trying to do a worship and the monkeys are disrupting. It's almost like when your motives are not clear... It's your own thoughts which will disturb you. It is You don't need an external enemy. I mean, your own thoughts will become the impe- uh, impediment for your uh, achieving what you want. On the other side, you know, Ram, Rama's victory is being ensured by monkeys. Hmm. And it's almost like the same thoughts which can disturb you are the same thoughts which will help you when you're trying to, you know, go towards your goal. I think possibly in the next week, we will try to get that clip where Swami so beautifully says that mind is the lock to which you have the key in your hand, right. you turn it right towards God, means it's the right turn to do, you turn it right towards God, it unlocks and it sets you free. You turn it left towards desires and the world, it locks you and holds you in bondage. That is the analogy Swami would give, saying that mind is responsible for your bondage as well as your liberation. So choose your thoughts well because, you know, again what Swami says, sow a thought, reap a I think I think reap a tendency. Reap an, uh, 
so a thought reap an action right. so an action reap a tendency so a tendency reap a habit so a habit reap a character so a character reap your destiny so the whole destiny is seeded by thought which shows how important our thoughts is and even as, as i say this you know it reminds me of the different thoughts that i have during the day and i just feel inspired that i must go sift through them keep only the good seeds and destroy the bad seeds right so i think with that dear listeners we'll conclude this week's afternoon satsang but before we go probably it's in place to uh, extend greetings on eid today is eid ul fitr or the day on which the month of ramzan comes to an end so our greetings to all of you on this on this beautiful and holy occasion we we'll leave you with a bhajan on the other side of the bhajan you'll be joined by brother chandu with the program love to love do join us again next week we'll continue with the story before we move on to the other satsang which we do on other fortnights thank you jai sadam shri ram ram ram
रघुवीरा राम राम